Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. No, we have no show for you today, you silly podcast people. Your mother was a hamster, and your father stank of elderberries. Now go away, or I shall taunt you a second time. Okay, okay. Who let the French in here? I know we're doing French wines today, but we agreed no intros in all French and no taunting. Well, we do have a good show for you today. All about French wines. So pour some wine, maybe get some cheese, and have a drink. Have a drink, the show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. <laughs> Hello. All right. All right. Hello, guys. all. So, jumping right in, I believe everybody was up to a little something this weekend. Indeed. Something, something. But there was a reason we moved the show to Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We uh, all take craft beers and food festival was this weekend. And Unfortunately, I was the only one out of all of us who was able to get there. But The first one in years I've missed. Yeah, it's such a good festival, too. Um, so showed up, knew uh, I, I was going to be there by myself, so I didn't want to spend too much time there. Showed up a couple hours late, so I wouldn't you know, power through as much as I knew I could. Um, so get there, uh, show up. One of the first areas you kind of step into is the... Um, sampling area for some of their whiskeys that they just came out with uh all tech that is and so all tech has this new um uh, irish whiskey line and so they have everything like four different irish whiskeys they've got everything from just a standard irish whiskey that's just in in old used beer ba- barrels or bourbon barrels actually maybe and then at the end of that they've got a 12 year um that is just kind of a standard but it's 12 years old like it's actually really fitting that they're doing an Irish whiskey since, you know, hmm. the founder of Alltech. Irish. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, uh, the. And now founder... it's a shame he didn't get to have it. Well, I'm well, sure he that's, had that's, it. That's... Yeah. He, he definitely did have it. Um, he actually was one. He selected, it was personally selected by him. I think the 12 year olds were personally selected by him. And so um, whenever you go and, and taste that, that's kind of his, his pick on what, uh, what he had picked. But um, got out of there and came around the corner and found where we had been to um, the wooden cask up in Cincinnati. Yes. Yep, a there board. was a beer on tap, with, and, and he was there. Uh, the brewer was there. There was a beer on tap there that was a scotch ale aged in a rye barrel. Ooh. I, yeah. did, I feel like, did we get some warning about this, that that was like in the mix? 
So he had he was specifically said this one was kind of a happy accident to a certain degree. Um, okay. He said that the um, the beer was they had put some of these. That's the same beer they had put it into bourbon barrels, and they made a bourbon barrel version of this. But one of the barrels they got in was the rye cask, and it was totally different. So um, they kind of separated that one out to the side and and put it away and said, you know, we're going to kind of make this something a little bit different, a little bit special. And it turned out to be great. Um, it's the Scotsman Scotch Ale, kind of a deep amber, uh, malty, sweet, no diacetyl. That was one of the things we talked about. Hmm. Sorry, I'm just thinking of a big no true Scotch ale. Uh, uh, and sorry, <laughs> indeed. Uh, and then you know, on top of that, they put it in the barrel. He lowers the carbonation on it so that it's like two point one volumes. That means it's going to have a really creamy flavor. And then the the beer comes out having a coconut flavor, a vanilla and coconut from the barrel only. Nothing else added in there. It's just all barrel notes, and that was delicious. That sounds well, fine. Right. Yeah. 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 So I think they're going to have that on at the tap room sometime soon. But again, that's going to be probably three kegs total uh, that they've made of this. And one was at the show. Hmm. So it'll be like, yeah, (laughs) time is now. Yeah, I'll get down there. (laughs) Uh, he was telling me about the ABC. The ABC was coming in and talking to him about uh, some of his beers that he does in barrels and then serves. And, um, he was saying, you know, they want us to serve them in smaller glasses. We just can't afford to buy smaller glassware. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're getting like these big glasses of of heavy. I think this one was close to 13 percent, um, and uh, real delicious. You can't tell that was that was a dangerous beer. <laughs> um, of course, the winner of the weekend was uh, Braxton Brewery Company. And for all those that were in the Discord, um, where <laughs> I was able to announce it there at the same time. At the same time. Yes. At the same time. Um, so Braxton won with their Mole beer. Uh, it's it's a ancho chilies and and I think it's got stout. cinnamon in it and chocolate. And... Yeah. So it's a variant of the dark charge stout. So. Yep. I was talking to. Uh, talking to somebody we all know friend of our friend of the show uh pat i ran into him this weekend while casey is still at the alltech festival and i think it was probably around the time that the winner got announced but i was like yeah um i was just looking at our 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 thing here and our discord and they said that that they had won and he's like oh what they win for i just see that the brewery won i i can't remember what it was for he's like "Eh, it could have been for anything it's it is apparently very readily available back home, though. Dark charges? Well, Braxton, oh, Braxton in general. Yes. Oh, yeah, in general. You say dark charge was, you know, dark yeah. charge yeah, day, no. and if you didn't get it then, you didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. Right. They did have dark charge on tap at the event, which was nice, but um, mm-hmm. they they didn't know a whole lot about everything. They were just kind of called up on Wednesday, and they said, you know, you should be here for the event. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that that's kind of the... The backhand way of, or not backhand, but the back door way back, of saying, "Hey, you chin. won, get down." Yeah, exactly. Um, but the that brewery uh, has been doing some great things, and so it was nice to see that they won against a lot of other beers that were international. 
And so it's not just a Kentucky competition that they won. This is this is an international worldwide competition, mm-hmm. especially since Alltech is a worldwide company. Yeah, um, they've got offices in Brazil and and multiple offices in Europe, and and so it's nice to see that um, a local company won, and they were really happy with that. It was a little weird to see instead of Pierce Lines uh, being the one to announce everything, to have his son up there who's now the head of the company. It was hmm. was a little different. Um, they did raise a toast to Pierce uh, Sr. And um, his son is young to be running a multinational company. I mean, the guy's got one or two gray hairs just about it, I'm oh, thinking. I thought you were going to say, like, the guy's, like, 14. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, he's, he's probably 40s, but... To be be a company that's, I don't as know. As big as I, they I, are. Yeah, I think it's privately held, so it's probably, yeah. they, they don't announce their numbers, but I'd say it's a billion-dollar company um, easily. Oh, oh yeah, because yeah. they're mostly dealing in uh, algae and yeah, like say that. They do a lot of non-beer things as well. Yeah, so like, mostly yeah. non-beer. They do things. mostly non-beer things. That's just, That was just like Pierce wanting to play around is the, where the beer came from. <laughs> Yeah. It's literally just like I mean, we we should just just experiment, guys. It'll be fun. Oh, okay, <laughs> pretty much. Um, their local brewery distillery they said would open next month. It will not. Uh, oh. I guarantee it's it's six months away, probably at this point. Um, so we'll see what happens. It'll open, and it will temporarily close down for more renovations for another five months. <laughs> it, it might open for mm. tours and things like that, but they will probably not be brewing or distilling from those grounds well, yet. Well, I looked online. Their TTV paperwork isn't even approved yet, so oh. they haven't even got a liquor license yet. Wow. So if they're going to be brewing beers, it's at least three weeks after they are approved by the uh, state before they could even get that in, and they've got to wait for the state approval has to be done after the approval of the, the federal. So they've got a, a few months probably. All right. Well, uh, was there anything else that really jumped out at you? Anything like any special drafts that? Yeah. So they did have KBS. That's the normal everyday stuff there. Um, The major. I like that. I like that KBS is just so mundane. You're there. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's about the way it goes. Um, The it's been there for the past, but it sold out very quickly. Um, One of the lines that was lined up a good ways was for a chocolate what was the name of that it was a cocoa milkshake stout Mm. don't let it fool you it was no milkshake at all uh because i when you get into a dark milkshake you really it's hard to kind of make that happen and so hazy in dark beers really doesn't you can't tell (laughs) yeah it's already Uh, dark it's like a Guinness trying to put haziness into it. Okay, it looks the same. Um, if it had been like a little milky colored, I, I would think I would have liked that. That was another very long line. Uh, it was good. It just wasn't what was billed. I think they were just throwing the name Hazy Milkshake on there and, mm. and hoping it sold better because of that. What was the brewery? <sighs> Let me look here and see. Local or national? <clears throat> I don't know. Um, I, I feel like it's local, but at the same time, I didn't recognize the beer as being um, local for us. It was one of the big, big supporters of the event. Mm. Um, hmm. I will be able to pull that up. I think it was Rock House Brewing from Lexington. Okay. Actually. Oh, okay. <clears throat> I want someone to make a beer that tastes like a Wendy's chocolate frosty. <laughs> mm. I read a did you know this past week about that. 
the Winsies Chocolate Frosty. Okay. I heard that they actually started, they were going to make the full chocolate Frosty, but because Dave Thomas thought it was going to be too chocolatey to be paired with their food, he said, you've got to mix it half vanilla, half chocolate mm. in the mix. That's mm. smart, actually. Yeah. I thought you were getting ready to say that it was like dookie uh, Fish or bladders. Something. Yeah, something complete. I, would, I don't care. It's delicious. <laughs> Did right. you know that... That every frosty is made from the tears of poor, uh, <laughs> poor immigrant children. Oh goodness! Redheaded. Well, well uh, Justin, I understand uh, you were at Ethereal for a special event they were doing for Craft Beer Week. I've been at Ethereal a whole lot lately. Um, <laughs> it that's what I realized after uh, after my last trip. I was like, oh. The bartenders are starting to know who I am. I can't come back here for a bit now. I have to <laughs> have to go into hiding. Uh, but yeah, they they were having a special release. Uh, a friend of mine works there, so full disclosure, I may be a little bit biased by how excited I was for this. Uh, but he worked there and he was been, been been selling me on this for a bit. And that they they started when they got a whole bunch of koji rice mm-hmm. and. Mm. They were curious about, you know, how they were going to be be brewing with this. And so they decided to try out a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, some of it with goji rice, some of it just Japanese uh, inspired, I guess. And just to see see what came through. Uh, so uh, my friend, uh, also named Justin, was back there uh, pouring. And they were going through, as they called their Trials of Yamamoto. And... I basically, if you if you were following us on the Discord, you would have seen me post pictures and react, and very close to real time. As I'm just going, oh god, okay, this is this is insane. But they had, hold on, I've got a picture of the list here. Uh, they had like five different beers. Uh, there was one of them they told uh, I had heard that uh, didn't make the cut because for whatever reason it didn't ferment quite. It did, I don't know if it oh, fermented. Really? It wasn't the fermentation. It was just the flavor came out weird. Yeah. Like not what they wanted, but didn't get like go bad. It just didn't land where they wanted it to. Hmm. Uh, but uh, they had five five different drinks. There was the uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about some butchering some languages as this <laughs> this episode goes on. Let's get a good run and go at it. Uh, the Amaske Ba, which is a saison with koji rice. Now hmm. I will also point out that all of these were already on untapped. Really? They they yeah. had already had them all loaded up and ready to go. They were they all these names were in untapped. All of the styles were not exactly as they were listed on this paper. So <laughs> that's always nice when the brewery's going to do something like that, and you don't have to go trying to create it, and they've already loaded. I was up. really afraid I was going to have to do that because I was like, I can't spell any of this. <laughs> if if they are on the untapped system. Mm, where yeah. it's on it that is their menu board of sorts i know they've got the the painted menu board um up on the the wall but if they've got an untapped menu board online they may be able to just plug that information in and that also populates this is what's in right now this is what's going to be up tomorrow or whenever something yeah. kicks this is the next one on that's the mm-hmm. business partner thing uh, yep. so you can do right. add trees business partnered with them so I want to point out that I don't think, uh, like, I, I enjoyed all of the beers that, that were on this. Like, they ended up all coming out really good. Uh, but some of them, 
some of them were more loved than others by me. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one was was okay. Like uh, that was a, it was a saison with koji rice, and bizarrely, I could really taste the koji. Mm-hmm. You know, like tastes like you, sake. Yeah, when you know what koji rice should taste like, I guess you can pick it out of something else and go, oh yeah, no, that's. <laughs> but then there was also the akaro kami, kami, which was a it was a wheat beer with fruit is how it's described on here. Untapped described it as a pale wheat. Uh, hmm. It also had cephalopod ink. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was the one. <laughs> Waiting for that one. So uh, it was purple. <laughs> yes. So I was like, well, that's not pale at all. That's it really nice, though. Like, it had a nice extra little fruitiness to it. Uh, really enjoyed it. It, it. it was at least the most visually distinct of everything. You're just like, oh, okay, I... I don't know what I'm about to drink, but mm-hmm. <laughs> here we go. Uh, then there was the Chochinbi, which was an imperial rice locker with uh, Sorachi Ace. That's a, a Japanese hop, if I'm not mistaken, right? Sorachi Ace is, yes. Yes. Uh, and so that was them doing the most Japanese-style beer, I guess, that they, mm-hmm. they could try. Uh, and that one, that one was very clean, very, you know... It was fine, but it just didn't have anything that knocked it out of the park that made it, mm. you know, super great. Mm. Uh, and then the Umibozu, which was a gosa with seaweed, sea salt, and citrus. I would try that. That I one was like my that. that yeah. one was my favorite. Hmm. That that was real good. Uh, the, the everything about it just just balanced well, tasted great. Uh, and from what I'm told, that was the one that you either loved it or you hated it. Hmm. And I was like, well, if you don't like ghosts, then you came <laughs> to the wrong party. Okay, right, right. so, yeah, something like that. We just saw on uh, Twitter, someone went on and tapped and checked into a shade for Mad Tree, which is a blackberry uh-huh. sea salt gosa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just so you know, they've not done that beer in about a year. <laughs> <laughs> and they were just like, oh, this is not good at all. Wish I'd seen the sea salt before I started drinking. It's like it's a gosa. You don't like <laughs> salt, and you're drinking a gosa. Well, and then Mad Tree had responded with like, um, this is really best enjoyed fresh. <laughs> yeah, uh, this that? doesn't go into production until the end of June. So... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the last beer on the on the on the trial, I guess as it were, <laughs> was the uh, the the Kodama, which was an IPA with green tea. Ooh. Yeah. I'm about that. That's uh, fine. It's up my alley. That one that one was pretty nice. Um it got a weird flavor quality and it could just be my brain is dumb. Uh but uh it had an an almost like grapefruity juiciness, which I I don't know why. Uh and then it also had uh 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 like the, the, the I guess kinda like the tannins I expect from tea. Mm. Mm. Uh, so there's a little bit of that in there too that kind of went in with the bitterness. So it was neat. It was the whole event was pretty cool. Like they, you know, you just head back there with a flight and they just fill you right up. That's uh, that's really cool. I wish we'd see more places around, or at least up in Cincinnati, do that. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. And the tea thing is always interesting on and any of the the beers, like because it, it, even depending on what kind of tea it is, it can be so different. Like. We've had ones with the black tea. Um, I still like uh, when you initially brought that up to us. Um, 
That's something. They did a um, a matcha blonde. Mm. Uh, Braxton did yeah, a matcha yeah. blonde. And that was really good. Um, you know, which is, matcha is a very different taste than just regular green tea. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I've, I'm about it. I'm okay, I'm okay with the tea and beer thing. One of the uh, things about this whole, like, I, I don't know. This whole this whole little experiment was really neat because they just made like really small batches of everything, and they just kind of wanted to see how it worked mm-hmm. and what they could do, and just try to give a little something extra because it was also craft beer week. Yeah. So <clears throat> gave gave another reason to get people in the door, and the line got pretty long right when the the event started. So a lot of people drinking it. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Well, uh, this weekend we actually had a guest in town, which was a reason we couldn't make it down to Alltech. Mm. But uh, Smoke was in town. He was in Cincinnati and decided to spend some time with us and mainly take me out and drink me under the table. So, <laughs> yeah, we went out Friday night and went to Urban Artifact. Uh, I got to try a pawpaw Midwest fruit tart that is draft only. And that was excellent. And then we went to Mad Tree. We were able to get on a Friday night at 9 o'clock. We were able to find parking within 20 minutes. A small miracle. Mm. I mean, yeah, parking within 20 minutes. Like, I'm surprised you didn't have to go park, you know, six, like two towns over. I, I lucked no into joke. it big time. I, pulled, <laughs> I was almost done with my first lap of the parking lot. And I see someone just starting to back out right in front of me. I'm like, all right, blinker on my spot. <laughs> But uh, so took took them around town, had a great time, uh, hit a bunch of releases yesterday morning, and I'm still feeling it today. Yesterday, oh my! So it was a really good thing we did not, because I went with him yesterday. I didn't go Friday night, but because um, I still cannot shake this cough and it's driving me bananas. But um, Saturday, I went to the line share. You know, couldn't drink anything. But, uh, you know, had my, my decaf coffee and my Chick-fil-A breakfast, which is fine. <laughs> and, and got, you know, poured the rain on. And uh, we went from that release and line share immediately to another one. <laughs> and then... I'm not uh, saying we took the party with us. Yeah, like, it was a bunch of people from, from the first place we were at. And um, then... We took them to Taft's Ale House because, like, if oh, anybody's ever in Cincinnati, we're like, anyway, you have to go to Taft's. Because um, <laughs> you're just like, you know what I could go for? Chicken and tri-tip <laughs> steak. And tri-tip steak. Yeah. Uh, which he had um, a few of his kids with him. I mean, it was part of the reason he had actually come to town anyway. <clears throat> and so I, I, I felt bad because one of them was a vegetarian and we were like, oh, crap. <laughs> we didn't oh. know that before oh. suggesting it. Yeah. And we were like... Oh, because all they do is steak, like beef. Yeah. I mean, they had like you could get the salad without any meat on it and stuff, but yeah, she. I don't think she was feeling it. But we did we did Taft's and then we did uh, Holtman's. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then by the t- we were I saw so... the chicken and <laughs> oh. was just instantly jealous. Just like man, I want some donuts right <laughs> now. Oh yeah. Uh, well, it it was good and bad. Um, I had one when we got home. And then we were both really tired, but we didn't really realize how tired we were because we were like, we're going to take a nap. Yeah, I was supposed you know, to be, just a normal, like, like, we'll be fine. We didn't set an alarm, though. It was so, just after four o'clock when we and, got home. Yeah. And we're like, let's take a quick nap because I was supposed to go over to Jim's and he had some friends in town from Michigan. And I was like, I'll take some stuff over there. Some things I picked up this morning. So yeah. at nine o'clock <laughs> when we got out of bed. Um, <laughs> we, nine o'clock this morning. No, no. 9 p.m. Oh. So we, we, we took a nap for five hours and, uh, 
Yeah, that's about right. Didn't feel amazing. And then I'm like, oh god, I have to take like my vitamins and my medicine and like we have to I have to try to eat something. And like we stayed up until just after midnight and then went back to bed and we didn't get up till seven this morning. So like we got stupid amounts of sleep this weekend. But I drank a what? stupid amount of beer. Yeah, he hasn't been feeling great since then though. Like there was so much <laughs> beer, you guys. Like you don't even understand. Um, but we did post a few pictures um, on the show Instagram uh, of, of the outing. Um, we did get to meet uh, Smoke's girlfriend as well. He, she was awesome. Um, mm. Oh, and yeah, we had... Um, he he got so much beer. Like, that man took back more beer than he brought. That's for sure. He's um, just got a backpack that's just a small... It's a, a full-size refrigerator that he's just, like, loaded up. Well, he, he took the cool... You know, you, you take a cooler to, like, the line shares generally because you're sharing stuff you know stuff the, the beer and everything and he had like a you know a decent sized cooler i guess it was like like he could barely open the thing by the time he got back to his car because <laughs> he bought beer at the, at the first release and then he bought we gave beer at the second release and, and we gave him stuff and then he gave us a yeah. bunch of the stuff he had brought to share that was still left just i think as a purge of what he still had in his cooler it's like oh here's really take, just, take some of this yeah everything just smelled trying really great. to make sure so just yeah. trying to like really test how squishy glass is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was fun. Uh, anytime, any of you listening, uh, if you're going to mm-hmm. be in Cincinnati, just you can email us, hit us up somewhere on social media. We'd love to go out and just have a drink with you. Or if you want to go on, if you want to Cincinnati- go, you know? <laughs> go on Cincinnati's wild craft beer ride, we're always down for that as well. Sorry, I'm just picturing Brittany now as Michael Keaton Batman, because she's like, you want to go nuts? <laughs> Let's go nuts. <laughs> Except I can't. <laughs> I got to smell every beer that they tried. So, oh. mm-hmm. and, and which some of them made me very sad because I'm like, that smells amazing. <laughs> I can't have stuff. any. All right. Uh, I believe let's start announcements and we have a movie draft update. Yes, we do. Welcome to your B-Team Movie Draft Minute presented by DiamondClub.tv for the week of May 14th, 2018. I'm your host, Big Voice Jay. Ever watch a movie and think, oh, I know where this is going, then you get really excited about where it's going, only the movie goes into a different direction, and it sucks? Congratulations, you've just written an idea for a new book or movie. Says who? C. Robert Cargill, of course. Ships, bitch! Let's go to the scores! <laughs> Team The Bond Squad is in last place to waiting for their first film. Team Walking Drunk is in fifth place with $30.2 million. Team Movie Party is in fourth place thanks to Breaking In, bringing their total to $77.2 million. Team Game Night is in third place with $134.7 million. Team Ritual Misery is in second place thanks to Life of the Party, bringing their total to $319.3 million. What? And on top for another week. <laughs> It's team have a drink with $625 million. At your movie draft minute, all totals are accurate as of 7 p.m. Central, Tuesday, May 15th, 2018. So some things have happened since then. Uh, I believe a little little indie film has come out. Mm. Uh, a sequel. Rich Asians? No, uh, that would be Deadpool 2. And immediately dethroned uh, our, our big uh, cash cow. Our big cash cow, which was on its like fourth week, fifth week yeah. of being number one. Yeah, we yeah. we couldn't last. The well, whole of also being out. It, so. Like, so we've got almost a doubling from the number two spot. 
Yeah. So we have to look like, at. We're, we're still kind of okay right now, but yeah, <laughs> we're just in a nice coast to second now, guys. <laughs> yeah, we're, that's pretty much what it's gonna be. So because whoever it was that's got uh, Incredibles two and um, Solo and Solo, they're probably probably gonna scream up past us. Wasn't there something else like another animated or something else that was like big ish coming out? Incredibles uh, two. Was that, or besides the Incredibles Jurassic scene. World two. Jurassic World's another one that's kind of pulling some money. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, hell, we'll enjoy it while we can. <laughs> we'll we'll sit in first place and gloat for the weeks that we can. Yeah. We, we've got at least <laughs> start, another week of gloat. Seeing if we can set up stake bets with Ritual Misery to see. <laughs> oh yeah. Huh? Uh, All right. Other uh, announcements. Yes, uh, our next episode is going to be uh, the normal day of the week this time, uh, Saturday. May 26th, 9 p.m. Eastern, and we're going to be covering MGP of Indiana. Not not at all a mm. controversial issue in uh, whiskey, of mm. which, uh, if anyone paid attention, was it? It was yesterday. Saturday was uh, International Whiskey Day. Hmm. So I mm. keep, every time we look at the next brewery on the list, I keep thinking we're doing Miller Genuine Draft. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking close enough, and I just go, what? All right. To some people, it is that of whiskey. <laughs> um, we also wanted to announce that the first batch of the patron appreciation stickers uh, are heading out. We do still need some of your addresses, though. Um, we sent an email out uh, to all of our patrons currently uh, to get an address to send the stickers to. Uh, if, if you can't find that email or whatever, you can send us an email, feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. And uh, let us know where to send your free stuff. <laughs> we got your free stuff. Tell us where to send it. Yeah, that was a small uh, oversight. Maybe, probably on my part. Well, uh, we assumed through Patreon that we would there would be a way that we could get things <coughs> to you. And no, there is not. There's an option to put your address and stuff, but like nobody really ever does, I don't think. Because yeah. so. I know through Patreon, they have my address, but I slowly realized, oh yeah, that's for billing purposes. <laughs> right, but not, yeah. So, slightly different. Um, finally, uh, and we're going to keep making this announcement for a while. Um, we are, we have joined the diamond club team in their year round extra life campaign to support the children's miracle network. You can donate to our page and help us help the team reach the $10,000 goal. You can visit bit.ly slash H a D extra life. That's had extra life all lowercase. Uh. All right. Uh, kind of going with our last episode. Coffee was the last one, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not crazy. All right. Uh, going to talk about a little recent science to do with coffee. So many people start and maintain maintain their day uh, through a rhythm of coffee intake. Uh, I am one of these people. Hmm. This is in part uh, your work routine, much like the habits and rituals that sustain your other daily routines. You know the impact of coffee has on you, but what are the uh, effects on a group, especially in a meeting context? As it happens. <laughs> Sorry, you said that. I'm just picturing like four people drinking from the same cup. Mono. That's the. <laughs> <laughs> it's mono. That's what happens. <laughs> As it happens, there's validity in heading into a meeting with a cup of coffee in hand, and it's better when everyone has a cup. You know, a coffee just makes everything better. <laughs> uh, so, a uh, new study reveals coffee makes meetings more productive. There's an art and science to using coffee to orient yourself and past research only focused on coffee's effects on individuals. A new study published by Journal of Psychopharmacology wow, 
Uh, recently analyzed performance efforts in group tasks by conducting experiments involving roughly 70 undergraduates. Well, who else would you be testing uh, the effects of coffee on other than 70, under, well, it'd be 70 graduate students, really. But uh, Undergrads, so, grads, whoever needs an extra, like, 20 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's, it's that bit from Ghostbusters. Yeah. I like they don't even exactly say what university. They just say a Midwestern university. Mm. But uh, they didn't want people lining up going, look, I'll do coffee all day. <laughs> all day. I already do. Just give me my money. I'll tell you the effects. Uh, think about it. A significant amount of coffee consumption typically occurs in a group setting. This prompted researchers to gather some participation or some participants in small groups over coffee for 30 minutes. After coffee, those groups discussed an article on the Occupy movement and offered ideas on the topic in a graduate school discussion competition. Other groups had coffee after talking about the article rather Wait. than beforehand. There's a discussion competition? I guess. You know, it's like debate, I guess. <laughs> but like less, like lower stakes. Yeah. Less, less aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look, I probably needed some kind of actual conversation training as a child, so everyone should. And as an adult, yeah. I, just, those, I find I find the wording odd. Discussion those, competition. Those in the study rated personal and group performance uh, more positively when drinking coffee before a discussion. Uh, coffee served at meetings made participants more productive and focused on group talks. Uh, while increasing their participation levels and leaving them feeling more positive about everyone's contributions. That's the endorphins. That's Those yeah. are the drugs. Yeah, you, you could break it down that way. Uh, is it group ritual or the caffeine? The people who had... Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> people who had the coffee earlier on rated performance levels higher for themselves and the group. Researchers wondered whether it was the ritual of drinking coffee with others or the caffeine in action that made participants feel more positive. In a second experiment, researchers switched it up and gave some groups caffeinated coffee while others received decaf. There you go. <laughs> Would participants react differently when caffeine wasn't a factor? The groups who drank caffeinated coffee still rated personal and group participation highly, and they exhibited greater levels of alertness and willingness to participate in another discussion with their group again. Groups who consumed decaf didn't exhibit this level of results. Because they don't have the caffeine to make them, to push them. Like, also, audio recordings, duh. I would love to hear these, uh, revealed more thoughtful and relevant statements in the groups who had caffeinated rather than decaf. There's someone there, like, I'm sure, like, the longer they did this, the more caffeine they consumed. Someone flips over a table and goes, no, you can't handle the truth! <laughs> yeah. They go, well, like, I like, shaking when they hit their 200th cup of coffee. I like the idea that uh, audio recordings reveal more thoughtful and relevant <laughs> statements, while people that are drinking alcohol think they have more thoughtful and relevant <laughs> statements. Well, it uh, turns out they are normie. Uh, she wanted to do a cheers reference. Cheers, yep. Yeah. So uh, they're saying, imagine uh, easing into a meeting with relaxed conversation over coffee rather than sitting down in tight suits and wishing you were lying in bed. Uh, rituals add to routines, and the more enjoyable they are, the more positive and productive performance becomes. So this is kind of how my day goes. I ha Okay, I have to have an initial cup to just get me dressed and out the door. That's just how it works. And then I get a very large cup on my way to work, and then proceed to drink that throughout the morning. One, to stay awake, because I go to work really early. And two, just to brighten my mood, because who really wants to be at work? No one. 
Uh, it, it's then, rough. Said, and then the poop. <laughs> yeah, you got to get prepped for that. Um, it's rough because my, I'm not a huge. Well, I wasn't a huge coffee drinker, but my office door sits right beside of the coffee machine. So you smell uh, the Keurig, and... and so uh, just from people walking by and having their daily cup, I'm like, oh, I'll have a cup too. And then the next person walks by, and I'll, I'll have a cup with them. And then by the end of the day, like three people have had a normal amount, but I've had three times the normal amount of coffee. Yeah, I mean it. It happens. So just yeah, be social. I, it, the social aspect. I think every, everything. Casey, you'll die. <laughs> You're not wrong. Everything's uh, better with coffee, even though it's now actually listed as a carcinogen in California. Stupid. Keep that in mind. That's stupid. <laughs> no, no. Listen. It's a, vile, it's a vile, terrible bean that's going to kill you. I just bought some stuff online for beer brewing a couple days ago. And one of the things I bought was a stainless steel rod with a stainless steel metal piece at the end. A little bit of plastic tubing and a paper filter, and on the listing it listed it as a Prop 65 cancer-causing <laughs> oh, agent. Wow. I'm like, it's got plastic and stainless steel on it and paper. <laughs> really? <laughs> Food grade plastic. Food grade plastic at that. Okay. Well, yeah, that's okay. California may be getting a little <laughs> out of hand, <laughs> but coffee, all the things, and let's talk a little bit on Untapped. Get riggedy, riggedy, All right, well, starting off, we've got the Meet Ella from Otter Creek Brewing badge. Otter Creek Brewing's latest release, Ella Hoppy Lager. Uh, okay, I see what they did there. Uh, marries the smoothness of oats with the crispness of lager fermentation. Really hoping for Hall or Holler Tower or something. Um, exclusively dry hopped with Ella Hops, an Australian variant known for uh, its complex array of aromas. Ella Hoppy Lager uh, features distinct notes of grapefruit, melon, and spice, which played nicely with a spicy character of the OCB's house lager yeast. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> Look for the colorful cans and good vibes at Ella Hoppy Lager, and you can earn a new badge. Check into one Ella Hoppy Lager from Otter Creek Brewing between oh, pardon, uh, May 18th and June 18th. And the aptly named Ella Hoppy Lager badge is yours. Yeah, I don't think they distribute around here, so we will I don't be think they do. Out. Doesn't sound familiar. All right, uh, next up, we've got uh, kind of a return badge. This is from New Belgium. It is Fat Tire Fridays. Uh, wind down at the end of the week with a craft classic. Fat Tire Fridays are all about getting together with friends, celebrating the week behind you with Fat Tire specials, giveaways, and more. Check out the events page at newbelgium.com to find a Fat Tire Friday near you, and be sure to connect with New Belgium on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you can't make it to an event, you can still relax the Fat Tire way with a set of all-new badges and a chance to win a limited edition New Belgium bike. Check. See, you said the fat tire way, and I was like, I mean, you know, riding along through Germany on a bike. And I went, oh, well, there is a bike. Well, now I don't I feel dumb. <laughs> There's always a bike. Um, check into one fat tire Belgian-style ale or Belgian white on a Friday between May 11th and August 31st to earn the Fat Tire Fridays badge. Continue enjoying these two great beers on three different Fridays to earn up to four levels of the badge. So... <laughs> 
You can yeah. really pile up the badges this time. Yeah, I, was it three levels last time? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because I got all of them. I, yeah, I got all of them, and I had to go buy some extras because a couple of them didn't check in the first time. Mm. Oh, like yeah, that's right. They didn't qualify for yeah, some they... reason. And it's really weird that it's like promotion rules. It's like no purchase necessary. And it's like, How you pretty much have it? to buy a fat tire, actually. I mean, like, someone, someone could else give buying you, you a fat tire. Yeah. I mean, exactly. sure. <laughs> all right, Casey, why don't you tell us what's coming from Long Trail? Certainly will. Long Trail Brewing comes in with the VT IPA. As long as it's not the VD IPA. <laughs> Long Trail Brewing introduces their take on hoppy, uh, sorry, hazy hoppy craze, taking the beer world by storm, whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. VT IPA provides the perfect balance of tropical fruits and citrus flavors achieved through a heavy dry hopping of citra and amarillo hops. What sets this beer apart from the other hazy beers is the new yeast strain that provides more neutral notes and juicy esters that enhance the hops. VTIPA will be available year-round on draft, but you know what? If you want this badge, you're going to have to check in to one of these from May 18th to June 18th, and that badge will be yours. Hmm. I just wish we could get... We're in their distribution, but we never get any of whatever... They're giving out badges for any of their special beers. We just get, like, two of their beers. Yeah. You knew it was coming. Everybody's got to have a hazy nowadays. Yeah, and oh, yeah. I'll talk about it later. I wonder at some point if there's just the brewers going, like, now you want to see hazy, I'll show you hazy. No, no, that doesn't seem to be what's happening. It seems everyone goes, we'll give it a shot, and then they put it out, and there's no hazy in it, and they're like, eh, we'll just call it a hazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the hazy, well... Go back and listen to our Hazy IPA episode if you want to learn more about Hazy IPAs. Yes, yes. Otherwise, Brittany? Yes, we do have a topic. Definitely not me this time. <laughs> All right. About a so, half a bottle in of this one. Uh, more than me. Casey. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, so we are talking about French wines today. Good luck to us. So, French wine have a, uh, wines have a long and detailed history. For that reason, we are foregoing most of it. So we can talk <laughs> about the wines themselves and the regions they come from. Uh, we won't go uh, over the overall history to get the idea of the, uh, uh, get the idea of what created the regions of wine known today, such as Champagne or Burgundy. Uh, we need, uh, we need to understand a little bit about the AOCs, the Appellation d'Origin uh, Contrary. That's really butchered, and I'm not really going to apologize for it. You knew what this was. <laughs> uh, the AOC is a term you've likely heard when talking about French products. Nope. Uh, it's a set of laws that uh, control the pr- uh, production of wine, cheese, meat, lavender, uh, honey butter, and... Uh, spirits and even lentils from france and when we got to lavender i was like one of these things is not <laughs> yeah. like the other uh, the laws regulate uh, the location in some cases uh the process that must be used when labeling french product uh the origin spanned back to uh 1411 when a parliamentary decree uh regulated roquefort cheese but the designations of french wines came later in 1905 these laws were similar to trademark laws that we have today. In 1919, French law for the uh, uh, protection of the place of origin was passed, giving the courts the ability to rule that specifications and locations where certain products uh, could be manufactured. 
this uh, version of the law closely resembles the laws around bourbon or scotch that were not only uh, process but location is important. The original laws were not, however, to create better pro- uh, better product, but instead to control overall uh, the overproduction of wi- uh, French wine. In 1935, a new law formed the Comité National des uh, Appellations d'Origine, or CNAO, uh, which has a has the sole discretion on the matters relating to wine quality. The committee mm-hmm. is funded by. Uh, fee paid by producers. The first laws were passed in 1936, and the Bordeaux, Burgundy, Champagne, and Rion regions uh, had their initial sets of regulations before 1938. By 1990, the committee had made some changes, including becoming a, pri- a public-private yeah, public-private hybrid, uh, and the committee was given the ability to rule over all agricultural par- products. Ooh. As if they were some sort of king on high. (laughs) These are our products. You there, the farm. Bring me that squash. Uh, There are more than 300 AOCs, the oldest uh, being from 1936, uh, the newest being added in 2011. Uh, the AOCs are contained within the uh, wine regions in France. To keep it simple, we've just covered the popular regions in today's episode and a few cases mentioning famous AOCs in those regions. So isn't it that um, one of our news stories last week that we were talking about on the news show, uh, so a lot of that's handled by the EU now, right? Or at least the enforcement of those laws. Well, the EU said, we will take your... Um, we will take your your laws and make sure that everybody that's a member of the EU Enforces. obeys those. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's sense. basically expanding enforcement of, of of those by agreement, I guess. Yeah, but well, I mean, it's by scale. So instead of just in France, you have it, you know, where Parliament is saying, "No, you, it's this is what it is." You have yeah. everyone in the EU, and the EU is like, "No, if you're under our umbrella, we're gonna carry this out." Most first world and and second world countries in the world recognize um, the AOCs for what they are. Uh, the U.S. recognizes it. We get trade back and forth. So because France recognizes bourbon as a word, we recognize French wines and the AOCs as right. as something. Hmm. So we trade. We all kind of we all kind of agree together that we're going to <laughs> and, and Scotch. There's another one with Scotch, of course. Hmm. Well, that's just because we're there. They're just upset that the British will somehow. <laughs> get all fussy again till scotland separates and then they just do what they want I want some sausage and mashed potatoes right now right mm. <laughs> i just want fried food but that was anyway. like a sexually charged mm. <laughs> <laughs> with some hmp sauce so let's start talking about some of the regions first up the bordeaux uh bordeaux lies southwest of france uh with a lies in the southwest of France. If it lies southwest of France... <laughs> then it's not a French wine. Yeah. It's not a French wine. And is either in uh, in Africa or in the ocean. Um, <laughs> or in the Mediterranean. Uh, the... Oh, oh there it goes. Uh, lies in the southwest of France. The total vineyard area covering... Uh, 1,000... Uh, sorry, 120,000 hectares. Uh, this makes it the so, large... Go ahead and read that it makes it the largest wine region in France. There is a lot of back and forth in all the data that I looked at. 
every region wants to claim they're the largest in some way. Um, I think Bordeaux is the largest in actual land mass, like the the most number of of square miles inside or square square, yeah, square kilometers inside of uh, Europe. But um, every single one of these places wants to claim they're the largest, some mm-hmm. way or the other. Makes sense. We're the largest exporter of uh, rosé wines that come from this city. Um, yes, of course you are. But uh, that, that's <laughs> it's not a hard it. market to beat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, the average vintage, uh, vintage produces over 700 million bottles, ranging from uh, table wine at its low cost to some of the most expensive in the world. Uh, the vast majority produced uh, it produced in the region is red, but the region is also has some famous for its sweet wines, like the Sauternes. Yes. Uh, there are 54 AOCs in the Bordeaux region, and uh, 8,500 uh, 8, producers. Sorry, I just started to say, I was like, about to say 1,000. I was like, nope, that would have been if you, you started with It was going to go from, wow, that's an impressive num- number, to holy crap. <laughs> Which is why we didn't go in and dive into each AOC individually. Yeah. Um, oh, seriously. my gosh. That would... each sing- yeah, each single region, like Bordeaux by itself, could be three or four shows back to back if you win the AOCs. So we could, I mean, we could have done that and we could have just been on French wines for the rest of the year. <laughs> okay. on French wines for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I'm okay. At 13% a bottle. Yeah. Nope. No, I'm done. <laughs> uh, no, seriously. The typical Bordeaux blend uh, has a large portion of Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, and smaller portions of Merlot and Cabernet Franc, uh, usually in a 70-15-15 split. The whites usually come in around eight, uh, 80-20 split. The phrasing on that is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, an 80-20 split of uh, Semillon and Sauvignon Blanc uh, with some, uh, uh, with some, sometimes some Muscadelle. Muscadel, uh, sure, whatever. Uh, in the past, if you were to drink Bordeaux in Great Britain, you would likely be called called a claret. In uh, 2011, however, the term claret will be recognized as a claret de Bordeaux for wines that are light and fruity enough to drink and in the same style as original claret when it was prized by the English in former centuries. Hmm. All right, let's talk a little Burgundy. Uh, Burgundy has more AOCs than any other region. Uh, two of these areas that are sometimes considered separate are the... Oh, crap. I would... Beaujolais. Beaujolais and... And Chablis. 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 Bonjour and Chablis. <laughs> Thank you no. for saving me doing it. Because <laughs> she's going to kill me with my accent on those. Uh, but for our purpose, uh, it makes sense to include them here as Burgundy is probably more concerned with the terroir, or the way... Terroir. Yeah. Terroir. Terroir. When I typed in it, I probably spelled it wrong. Oh, okay. Or the way the environment changes a wine. Uh, The region is is subdivided into four main parts. Okay, here we go again. The Côte de Noir, Côte de Buen, and Côte de Chalonnaise. And Mekone. Like, I, I gave it a shot. I do not speak French, guys. Uh, the Cote de, de Mayonnaise and the Cote de Big Mac. 
Cote not going to work here anymore. Uh, the practice of delineating vineyards by their uh, terroir in Burgundy goes back to medieval times when various monasteries played a key role in developing the Burgundy wine industry. Uh, the central part of the region, the Cote d'Or, is where mo the most expensive wines in the region are grown. There are two main grape varieties used in Burgundy, uh, Chardonnay for whites and Pinot Noir for reds. The region has a cool... Still not getting better. <laughs> the region has a cool climate as well. A strong influence on Burgundy and Champagne wine uh, production was the centuries-old rivalry between the regions. From the key market... Chris, 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 I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Champagne. Champagne. <laughs> oh. just, just stop. Just... See, I was avoiding those jokes, so... Someone had to do them. No. <laughs> I mean, they didn't, but but we'll, we'll go there. Uh, from the key market of Paris uh, to the palace of Louis XVI of France at Versailles, proponents of Champagne and Burgundy would compete for dominance. Uh, for most of his life, Louis would drink only Champagne wine uh, with the support of his doctor, who advocated <laughs> the king drink Champagne with every meal for the benefit of his health. Sure. Ah, as the king aged and his ailments increased, competing mm. doctors would propose alternative treatments with alternative wines to soothe the king's ills. One of these doctors... Problem, his problem was cirrhosis. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> One of these doctors conspired with the king's mistress to out his current doctor and have himself appointed as royal doctor. He quickly attributed the king's uh, continuing ailments uh, to champagne and ordered that only Burgundy wine must be served at the royal table. Look, the champagne was probably one of the reasons. Replacing it with another <laughs> wine didn't help. <laughs> didn't help. Uh, this development had a ripple effect throughout no, no, uh, both... Now, I'm, now I must know what he died of. <laughs> uh, you know, I was doing the same thing. <laughs> this development had a ripple effect uh, throughout both regions and throughout the king's body. <laughs> and in the Paris markets, uh, both Champagne and Burgundy were deeply concerned with the healthiness reputation of their wines, even to the extent of paying medical students to write a thesis uh, touting the health benefits of their wines. These theses uh, were then used as advertising pamphlets oh that were sent to merchants and customers. The war of words would continue for another 130 years with endless commentary from doctors, poets, playwrights, and authors, all arguing for their favorite region and their <laughs> pulmix being uh, reproduced in advertisements for Burgundy and Champagne. On a few occasions, the two regions were on the brink of a civil war, and that, that's not just like the, the words kind of war, like an actual uh, a turning point occurred when several champagne winemakers abandoned efforts to produce red wine in favor of focusing on harnessing the effervescent nature of sparkling champagne. As the bubbles became more popular, doctors throughout France and Europe commented on the health benefits of the sparkling bubbles, which were said to cure malaria. Oh my gosh. So... Louis was, I believe, a uh, victim of malpractice. <laughs> okay. No joke. So, so, I pulled up the Wikipedia just to see health and death. Mm -hmm. uh, one, 
He died of gangrene. Senile gangrene, yeah. Mm. Uh, two, uh, evidence suggests that his health was not very good. He had many ailments, for example, symptoms of diabetes, uh, confirms report of uh, superating uh, periostesis, I think. I don't, parasit, I don't know. Uh <laughs> Uh, dental abscesses, uh, along with recurring boils, fainting spells, gout, dizziness, hot flushes. Well, gout definitely is caused by alcohol. Um, And that gangrene, his doctor misdiagnosed it as sciatica. (laughs) So. Yeah. Yeah, they... they, he underwent a painful operation for an anal fistula that was performed by a surgeon with a surgically curved scalpel for the especially shaped uh, scalpel for the. It took two months to heal. Oh God! He died of. Wound. He died he of, of witches. witches. Yes, yeah, that's uh, a <laughs> chat chat chat. Yeah, he yes. <laughs> Can we boil down to that? So, uh, Champagne is situated in eastern France, uh, close to Belgium and Luxembourg. Uh, is the col- coldest of France's major wine regions and home to its major sparkling wine. Champagne province is located near the northern limits of the wine world. The high altitude and uh, mean annual temperature of 50 degrees Fahrenheit creates a difficult environment for wine grapes to fully ripen. Ripening is aided by the presence of forests, which helps uh, stabilize temperatures and maintain moisture in the soil. The cool temperatures serve to produce high levels of acidity in the resulting grape, which is ideal for sparkling wine. Ancient oceans left behind chalk subsoil deposits, which they uh, receded 70 million years ago, roughly. (laughs) Earthquakes that rocked the region over 10 million years ago uh, pushed the marine sediments of, you know, I was going through, I was looking for French words and didn't stop to think about uh, Bellumnite? scientific names for different sediments. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Bellumnite fossils uh, up to the surface Vibranium. <laughs> to create the Bellumnite chalk terrain. The, I think this is like the most interesting portion of this this whole yeah. episode is the fact that the ge- it's giving science. you exactly what what gives you that in the champagne like what caused the yeah. grapes and it is actually this deep-seated geological thing that caused it the bellum nut in the soil allows it to absorb heat from the sun and gradually release it during the night as well as providing good drainage the the soil contributes to the lightness and finesse that is characteristic of champagne wine the area is best known for the production of sparkling white wine that bears the region's name. EU law and the laws of most countries reserve the term champagne exclusively for wines that come from this region located about 100 miles east of Paris. Champagne wines can be both white and rosé. A small amount of still wine is produced in champagne, of which some can be red wine. Primarily, the grapes uh, Pinot Noir, Pinot Moinard, and Chardonnay are used in the production of almost all champagne. But a tiny amount of Pinot Blanc, uh, Pinot Gris, Arbane, and Petite Messler, Messler? Messler? Are, <laughs> are vinified. Vinified? Vinified. Vinified. Well. <laughs> like vinified. It's vinified. 
Bonafide. <laughs> Champ. <laughs> She's just like groaning. <laughs> Champagne. Don't blame her a bit. Champagne Appalachian laws uh, allows only grapes grown according to Appalachian rules in specifically designated plots within. I'm just it. Uh, it's like, oh, you had trouble with this word. Well, I'm going to keep throwing it at you. Within the <laughs> Appalachian to be used in the production of champagne. Uh, the viticultural boundaries of Champagne are legally defined and split into five wine-producing districts within the historical province. Uh, oh, sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> Never so. heard of those wines. <laughs> Cote Blancs. Cote historical Cezanne. province being Abu Cote des Blancs. Cote de <laughs> sorry, I'm not... sorry. One, one second. He said Abu. He did not say a poo for the first one, right? No, no I did not. Oh, a boob. Okay. <laughs> a boob. So the towns of Reims and Epirne, it's my best shot, uh, the commercial centers of the area. So so go ahead. Go ahead. Tell us tell us how this goes. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll get the words. Uh, so, the, okay, we've determined you said this word is Rhone. Rhone. Okay. Rhone. The Rhone region, uh, wine region in southern France is situated in the Rhone Valley. The region's major Appalachian and production volume is Côte de Rhone. So, I don't know if I actually said this. The Rhone is a river in France. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, whenever you, you, you're hearing the Côte de Rhone, it's like the banks of the Rhone River. Gotcha. Uh, the Rhone is generally divided in two subregions with distinct vinicultural traditions. The Northern Rhone and the Southern Rhone. That's pretty straightforward. Uh, the northern subregion produces red wines from the, the Syrah. Yep. No, it's not, is it? Uh, Syrah grape. Sometimes blended with white wine grapes and white wines from Marsan, Roussan, um, Viognier, Viognier. Viognier grapes. The southern subregion produces an array of red, white, and rosé wines, often blends of several grapes, such as uh, in Chateauneuf du, P- du Pope. You got it. <laughs> the new castle of the Pope. Uh, there is some history w- there we touch on in a little later. Uh, the Appalachian stretches from the eastern bank on the Rhone near uh, Orange in the northwest to um, oh, Sorgue. Look, there was one word in all of this that Sorgue. we were bound to get right. Appalachian is it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even spelled the same way. Uh, to Sorgue. Uh, near Avignon in the southeast. The altitude reaches 120 meters at its highest and is the northern part of the Appalachian. It covers 3,200 hectares of land and, with at least three distinct types of soil or terroirs. terroirs sorry. Uh, in the north and northeast, the famous uh, Galates Rules, Rules, uh round rocks or pebbles covering the clay soil, the rocks are famous for retaining the heat from the plentiful sun some 2,800 hours um, a year. Wow. Uh, releasing it at night, ripening the grapes faster than the eastern part of the Appalachian, where the soil is mostly sand, as well as to the south, where the soil is, most, is more gritty. The powerful mistral wind carries away the moisture, intensifying the dry climate. It's, it's really cool when you look at photos of these rocks because it basically is these two-inch rounded river rocks that are planted over the entirety of all the fields that 
produce all the vineyards. And so they'll they'll like go right up to the the vine. And it's just like fields of these river rocks. Like I, I don't know if they've placed them there and or it was just what was there and then over time you know, you get rid of the dirty type stuff and you put more rocks there and it just kind of builds up. So it adds to drainage and it adds the ability to kind of get a little more minerality into the wine. Hmm. Nice. Um, how do you... Is this Loire? Loire is sure. how I've been saying it, but... Loire. Uh, Loire Valley is a primarily white wine region that stretches over a long distance along the Loire River in central and western France, and where grape varieties and wine styles vary along the river um, with Cremant production throughout the Loire, uh, it is the second largest sparkling wine producer in France after Champagne. Loire wines tend to exhibit characteristic fruitiness with fresh, crisp flavors, especially in their youth. The Loire Valley has a long history of winemaking dating back to the first century. In the high Middle Ages, the wines of the Loire Valley were the most esteemed wines in England and France, even more prized than those from Bordeaux. The Loire River has a significant effect on the uh, mesoclimate of the region, adding the necessary extra few degrees of temperature that allows grapes to grow when the areas to the north and south of the Loire Valley have shown to be unfavorable to viticulture. In addition to finding vineyards along the Loire, several of the river's tributaries um, are also well planned, uh, include or well planted, including the Allier, Cher, uh, Indre, Loire, um, or sorry, Loire, I guess, I don't know, uh, Seve, Sevre Nantes, and Vienne River, Vienne Rivers. See, I had to get some words in there, so <laughs> <laughs> I got all the crappy ones at the end. It gets, it gets you there. Yeah. yeah um, and and throughout all of the regions, I, I think if you were a, if you were going to go into the wine world, it would almost pay to like do your undergrad in meteorology, <laughs> because the yeah. microclimates in these region is really in these regions is really what sets this wine away from another wine, and why they're they're so special is because the the soil or the terroir so terroir as a word means kind of all the things that come into making that grape and that wine what it is and it, it could be anything from you know how much water is is falling yearly to the makeup of the ground and is it a chalk makeup is it is it stones what's that like um everything to terroir to a certain extent and and people say oh i can taste the terroir or whatever it, it, it to a certain extent it's all the little things the nuances of that region that make up and it could even be in in the most uh i guess the words esoteric or the floweriness of the language um mm -hmm. it could even be you know that gnarly hand uh vineyard uh owner who goes out and, and does what he needs to do and, and so all that kind of combines to make this this area have a certain flavor. And so it, it's really interesting to see how each of these certain regions has that specific flavor and, and certain wine varieties that grow better there and, and produce better notes in that region. I remember us covering that, that term in either the first wine episode or I think maybe even the tea episode because it that had a lot to do with the tea. Because mm -hmm. in reality, like all the tea is really, it's the same plant. It's just how it's, it's produced afterward and also with the, t the climate. Almost quite yeah. literally the same plant. 
Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, yeah. Genetically, um, there are some there are some genetic varieties that do better in other places. I mean, it, it's yeah. changed a little bit uh, depending on where it is. Uh, that's just something that you get from free radicals, I think, or whatever. <laughs> you know, you've yeah. got these these radioactive yeah. particles hitting the plant. And they change the, the DNA structure. Um, but on the other side of One that... One type of tea stretches at enormous lengths. The other, solid rock. Another <laughs> turns, bursts in the flame. Hmm. Uh, agricultural products and, and alcoholic beverages or beverages in general that come from agricultural products have this terroir romanticism about them where you've got wines that you can say, oh, I taste the fact that they had gravel there instead of... Um, clay soils or, or whatever that is you can you can go in and say oh I can taste that sometimes you're just a pretentious a-hole other times uh, I don't think we have to believe that right um, and then other times it's just it, it's really you can actually taste between the two differences if it's a huge difference oh, um, I can taste the suffering of the of the itinerant farmer <laughs> so uh, I, I think it's really an, an interesting term that flows through all agricultural products, beer doesn't get it the same way because it's so processed. Hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I, if I wanted to go and order a a domestic malt, that's going to taste different than a malt that I order from Belgium or a malt that I order from uh, uh, United Kingdom. Those definitely do have flavors that are special to that region. It's not as specific as, as this. So if I order a malt from the UK... I don't necessarily specify I want this from the north of the UK or I want it from the south or I want it from uh, just around this river valley. And and that's kind of special with wine that you get these very specified regions. Um, so moving on to the next, and there's a few of the major regions that we've kind of left out because they're major in quotes. We couldn't get through them all in one episode. And, and at a certain point, it just becomes boring to kind of say, hey, this is... This is this area, and it's it's got this microclimate. So these are kind of the major ones and what you kind of can expect. Um, next is Alsace, or Alsace, uh, is a primarily white wine region. Though some reds, rosé, sparkling, and sweet wines are also produced. It's situated in the eastern part of France on the river, I'm guessing Isle, I-L-L, and oh. borders Germany, a country with which it shares many grape varieties, as well as the long tradition of... I was going to say, depending on the depending on the air, it's part of Germany. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you get that trading back and forth of nationalities, um, but uh, no, you get that violent conflict where they really want the steel work. It happens in this in the Lorraine uh, Valley. Good to know. Um, so long traditions of varietal labeling happen with this grape. Um, grapes grown in Alsace include the Riesling and Gewürztraminer, Pinot Gris, and Pinot Blanc, Pinot Noir, and Muscat. Um, all of these, the Riesling and Gewürztraminer are, are big grapes in Germany. If we ever get to those episodes where we talk about German wines, those are going to pop up there again. Um, the geography of the wine growing area in Alsace is determined by two main factors. The Vosges, uh, Vosges Mountains, <laughs> that's an odd word, yeah. V-O-S-G-E-S Mountains in the west and the Rhine River in the east. Because of predominantly westerly winds, the Vosges Mountains uh, tend to shelter Alsace from rain and maritime influence, and the region is therefore rather dry and sunny. Hmm. Almost all wines here are white, except for those made 
from the Pinot Noir grape, which are often a pale red, kind of a rosé. Sparkling wines known as Crement d'Alsace are also made. Much of the white wine in Alsace are made from, uh, is made from aromatic grape varieties. So many characteristic Alsace wines are aromatic, floral, and spicy. Since they very seldom have any oak barrel aromas, they tend to be varietally pure in their character. That means you're not getting the oak to come in and say, I know, I know, we're talking about a white wine region that is pure. It's, it's so That's bad. That's very frequently Oops. German. Uh, yeah. Oh. Um, but you're, you're not going to water it down with the vanilla and uh, the oakiness that comes in with that barrel. You can very much taste this grape taste like this on the vine and also in the glass. Um, traditionally, all Alsace wines were dry, but an ambition to produce wines that were more intense and fruity has led to some producers producing wines which are uh, containing some residual sugar. Since there is no official labeling that differentiates completely dry wines from off-dry, kind of semi-sweet wines, this has occasionally led to some confusion among consumers. There is a legal requirement for bottling in Alsace in which tall bottles commonly called flutes de Alsace, uh, are used only. Uh, in the AOC rules, that bottle type is actually called Vin de Rune, R-H-I-N. Rune? Rune, probably. Maybe Rune, yeah. Um, and if you're on the video episode, the, it's a bottle very similar to this right here. Oh, okay. a tall, taller Skinny. look. Oh, okay. Um, then you move on from Alsace to down south in the languedoc Roussillon. Uh, it's in the south of France. It's the largest region in terms of vineyard surface and production. Hence the region in which much of France's cheap bulk wines have been produced. Also, where my wine that I'm drinking tonight, Bob's wine tonight, comes from. Uh, so-called Wine Lake. This region is homed uh, is also the home sounds to some like a real sounds like a really drunk ballet. Yeah, I'll watch that. Uh, also home to some of the innovative producers who combine traditional French wines like Blanquette de Limoux, uh, the world's oldest sparkling wine, and international styles while using lessons from the New World. So this is a very blended wine area. Much of the wine in the region is labeled Vin de, P Vin de Pays de O.C. Uh, or Doc, uh, the OC Doc. Uh, this is one step above table wine in the French hierarchy and basically means that the wine is from the region but somehow didn't follow all the rules in the region to be called an AOC wine or it was just right outside of a certain set of mountains or hills that were inside that AOC. So most of the wine here is kind of, they don't want to say it's just table wine, it just means table wine is basically French wine, nothing else other than that. Um, Vin de Pace from this region means basically it's got a little bit more pedigree behind it, but it's not necessarily a, uh, a specialized AOC. Um, the area has around 700,000 acres under vine and is the single biggest wine producing region in the world, being responsible for actually more than a third of France's total cool. wine production. Cool. Wow. In 2001, the region actually produced more wine than the United States total. All of the United States. Um, this one region is home to numerous grape varieties, including many international varieties like Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Sauvignon Blanc, and Chardonnay. So we talked about how that international that international um, influence came over, and this region kind of picked up regional uh, varieties outside of France. Um, the traditional Rhone grapes of Mourvedre, 
I think. More Vedre. Uh, Grenache, Syrah. More Dr. Dre. <laughs> Uh, it's actually close to Hutzfeld. Uh, Grenache, Syrah, and Viognier. Syrah is very close to uh, Shiraz on that side. Um, are also prominent. Uh, vineyards in the, the region are generally planted along the coastal plains of the Mediterranean, while those in the, uh, sorry, those in the Langendoc region, because this is a combined region, uh, generally planted along the coastal plains of the Mediterranean, while those in the Roussillon are to be found in the narrow valleys around the Pyrene. Py- uh, Pyren- Pyrenees. Pyrenees. That's probably there Pyrenees, you go. actually. Probably it is like Pyrenees. Yeah. Pyrenees. Yeah. Uh, they make wines and dogs. And dogs. <laughs> <laughs> they handcraft these dogs. <laughs> the peak growing season between May and August is very dry, and the majority of annual rainfall occurs during the winter. In the Langendoc, the Plains area, and please call in or, or write in and tell me how badly I'm pronouncing this. Any of us. Uh, <laughs> please don't. D- don't. <laughs> the Plains area and uh, is the most arid and hottest region of France total. Um, the region's Mediterranean climate is very conductive to growing a large amount of wine variety of and a large amount and a large variety of grapes with vintners in the area excelling in mass production. So you could get a lot of different wines from this region um, and not necessarily know that, that this is where they're coming from uh, because they could be named not by the Langendoc in, in Roussillon, but, but by, by the style, the AOC inside of that. Yeah. So the one that I've got, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit, but the one that I've got today, it doesn't have that on the label anywhere. It's just labeled by the AOC that's within that region. And I think there's like, whenever I looked it up, there were, uh, 10, 12 different AOCs, major AOCs. That's all. Okay. Ooh. Well, that is a, that was definitely an Ooh. overview. <laughs> it's a nice intro to French wine. I'm sure when we go into the individual styles, oh God, we've got to go to the individual styles. <laughs> yeah, it's like beer. Uh, we, oh, yeah. we just basically did L's and lagers just now. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, we kinda... didn't. No, we didn't. That didn't take nearly like four hours. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. You just think it did. Go back and look at how long those episodes were. They were not that long. Oh. But it felt like it was a day. <laughs> it felt like it, yes. Uh, All right. Well, uh, we apologize for our butchering of the French language. <laughs> uh, even though when Casey stumbles, he then regains his footing and correctly gets it out. So that mainly... I just had... I have to find something else that I know of from the area to be like, oh, yeah, that's what that is. I've heard that word. Better off than, than us. Uh, that's yeah. <laughs> well, right. Pyrenees, like the dog. You all probably knew that more than I did. Mm-hmm. The only one. The this only, the only, only one. one. I'm a cat person. Uh. I knew Appalachian. <laughs> Spelled completely <laughs> differently and meaning something completely different, but I knew it. Appalachian. Appalachian. All right, let's get into what we've been drinking. Drink with me, friend. It's not the sound this drink makes at all. <laughs> is it bubbly to uh, a point? Sometimes. No. No, it is not. Uh, not this time. I am drinking a Montclair Picpol de Pinet. Sure. Right. It's a white wine. I feel like Casey, you guys need to take pictures you, of these bottles just to be like, Casey, this is you, this you is. need you you know more of this, so because <laughs> uh, Casey you bought wanna... two bottles. And yeah. It was cheaper. Uh, yeah, I was at the store and it was like ten dollars a bottle for one or seventeen for two. So I was like, I'm just getting seventeen dollars for two bottles, and we'll we'll go with that. So yeah, yeah, we'll we'll 
I'll, I'll come back. Uh, we'll, we'll do you last, Chris, instead of me this time. Um, so Bob and I can kind of talk about this together. Um, this is from the Appellation Picpoul de Pinet, I think. Um, the largest white wine producer in the Lagendoc region. Mm. So uh, this one is the last one that we talked about. Um, and this is one of those Appellations within that region. Inside of this Appellation, you even have one, two, three, four, five, six different sub Appellations basically within this one uh, I, region. I just noticed on the back it has a a uh, style. It has like a style description, notes, mm-hmm. and food pairings. And I went, "Well, oh, man, now I want some seafood." Right. So yeah, whenever I looked at this, the the food pairings are supposed to be seafood, cream sauces, or Asian foods. And no, like this makes me really want seafood Alfredo. It also makes me really want some lo mein. Ooh. Fried rice. It's got some acidity to it, which kind of can cut through all that heavy creaminess and heavy um, kind of the the with with a lot of the foods that come in with with Asian foods, a lot of saltiness from the soy sauce. I think it could definitely cut through that. Imagine having um, it with that uh, awesome that prosciutto stuffed chicken with the pesto stuff on top at, at Buca. Yeah, there we go. That would be that would be a good point. place. Um, a little Alfredo sauce on top of that, even. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, Alfredo, all of the things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a crisp and light-bodied, um, but the the wine variety is, I think, Peak Pool. I think is the wine uh, is the the grape variety itself, and then De Panette is Panette is the city, and so it's the region surrounding that city of Panette, and so that's kind of I think how you you're supposed to read this label. Um, maybe, uh, Florence, Florence is is in Italy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's near a region. I don't know. It's near the Florence sack. I don't know if that's anywhere in the Pomeroles, um, near Florence, Kentucky, Florence, uh, the Versailles, uh, as we say, um, it's supposed to have pear, lime and mineral undernotes. What, what I got, tell me how you, what you think about this wine, Bob, on your, um, just on your palate, because you I, don't really like wine. I don't like wine. I don't. I don't drink it often. Uh, it's. I don't know. Like I tried smelling it, and I'm not getting a whole lot of anything. I'm used to a lot more bold flavor, uh, bold aromas out of stuff. Uh, it does have a weird kind of like semi-acidic smell. And I'm getting on the aroma with you. I'm I'm getting um I'm getting a bigger aroma than what I'm getting in the flavor. Um, I'm getting a little of that acidity. I'm getting a little bit of those florally notes um, to it, but it it's like a big Pinot Grigio white wine type aroma. If you've had American California Pinot Grigio, that's kind of the aroma, just a little bit bigger from that one. Uh, yeah, it basically just. <laughs> You know we have uh, beer ass beer. This is this is white ass wine. <laughs> white. Um, that's 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 what I would call it. Uh, so like it, it when I think of white wine, like this is generally kind of what I think of the flavor. It's not. I don't think it's like super dry, but it's still like. I don't know. It's not not my favorite thing. But again, I don't really like wine that much in general. But better than than my experiment with red. Yeah, 
Um, on the flavor side of things, I am not really that big of a fan. Um, it is it is almost watery to a certain extent. I could see uh, that. And and I'm not I'm not really getting getting a whole lot out of the flavor. Um, it could be something that cuts through fairly well uh, with with a lot of these fatty foods because it doesn't have a whole lot of flavor there. It's something that just kind of washes down, you know, very similar to, to uh, Brittany's uh, flavored water at a certain point. You know, <laughs> that's that's kind of the flavor that I'm getting. There's no sweetness there. It's dry. Um, it's not a very big big wine at all in the flavor side um and it kind of disappoints when you go from that amazing aroma to not yeah. a whole lot there uh minerality so a lot of minerality it's more that old world style it's not the fruit bombs that you get out of california and so that's kind of one of the the things that i'm like eh, i kind of like a fruit bomb every now and then but it to be for for it to be so far south in france it reminds me a lot of some of those northern france um German wines without the sweetness to it. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, uh, Chris, what are you drinking? Not to style, that's for certain. So, uh, some, I am drinking a some beer. Michael Bublé? No, I am drinking a beer. I'm not. I'm not even close to style. I didn't even try. We have too much beer in the fridge, and like, we got to yeah, get rid of it. It was just like methodical. Was like this stuff has to go. Let's get to this. So I was drinking a hazy and juicy and hoppy and fresh from high wire brewing uh fresh it was pretty fresh but uh this is billed as a new england ipa coming in at 7.5 percent ibus are not to be found anywhere and it has an untapped score of 4.03 out of 5 and there's not even a brewery description anywhere that i could find Chris, show me that beautiful haze footage. Well, show me how hazy that is. It's gone. I drank it. But oh. uh, the hazy... <laughs> That's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. The hazy needs to be dropped out of this, just like uh, Sierra Nevada's hazy IPA. So it seems like every time someone puts hazy in the name, it is indeed not hazy in the least. <laughs> it's They're not going far enough. That's the problem. They're like... Okay, uh, we'll make a hazy IPA, but we're not going to use the right yeast to make it extra hazy. We're not going to do all the extra hops to make it super hazy that way. They're just saying, hey, we're going to do a hazy IPA because that word's a buzzword. Exactly. And that's it. it it's like doing a um, – it's like those those breweries that try to do a only one yeast for their entire – portfolio and i'm not saying that's a bad thing you can do one yeast for your entire portfolio but don't try to make a belgian beer with american l yeast or yeah. don't try to make a, a german hefeweizen with american l yeast and that's what that's what they try to do hmm. uh, if it is a, an american wheat beer label it american wheat beer put in a ton of hops and and make it powerful and go from there you could what we saw initially with this was people would uh, instead of saying new england they would call it unfiltered Hmm. to you know hint that that's yep. what they were going for but they weren't like they didn't want to come out and say it since it wasn't a style and everything and you could have just called this beer juicy and hoppy and fresh unfiltered ipa and i would have had no quarrel with it at all but yep. hazy added in there and there was zero haze uh you could check i think it should be back in the pre-show stuff i held it up and you could see it you could see the logo on the other side of the glass through it, and if I have a New England IPA, that should not be the case. No. Um, 
I was talking to the sweet one of the Sweetwater um, reps, and they're coming out with a new IPA, most likely. Um, it, the original was whenever I went down to tour their facility. The original was a collaboration between Street Cheese Incident, I think, and so they're going to probably pull that out into a full production beer. But it's uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm I'm trying not to get the two crossed here. But if I'm not mistaken, that one is the one that's supposed to be a non-hazy, just a really good IPA because Sweetwater doesn't see the Northeast IPA phase lasting too much longer. Um, from from the conversation I've had, he sounds like he's thinking it's going to be over in the next six months, at least in the craze that it's got right now. Yeah, I could see that. I, mean, I don't think, see the style going away. I mean, I personally, I actually right. really I like just it. Mean like the, but the, every the brewery band. having one. Yeah. yeah. It's not going away for another couple of years, or it's not going to die down. I mean, you have too many breweries that are banking on this, that are doing it well, that are going to keep the, this. The, not the big guys, though. It'll be localized. No, the big guys can't do it to save their lives. That's what I'm saying. Like, and Sweetwater's one of the big guys. They're in the top 50, probably. So that's what I'm saying. The big guys, uh, you'll still have Alchemist, and you'll still have um, uh, your and, Treehouse. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you'll still have those folks that are doing it well, because they started the style. They were here before the fad. They'll be here after the fad. Mm-hmm. So... The fad itself, because of beers like this right here, that aren't that super hazy, that's what's going to be the mm. the temporary thing. Yeah, I can see that. So the the mass market of people who don't get to go to tastings or shares or anything like that, and they never get anything from the Alchemist or Treehouse or any of that kind of level on New England, then they're only the only New Englands they have are these that are really hitting the mark. They're just going to be like, meh, and they're going to move on, and these beers aren't going to sell, and those big breweries will just drop it and move on. Heck, if you can get Alchemist and you can get Treehouse, you wouldn't buy these. Exactly. <laughs> That's, True. So on either side, if you can or can't get it, you won't be buying these in six months. You're trying it now because you think, man, this is such a big deal. Everybody's talking about it. I should buy some of that. After this is up, you know, everybody's had one or two that they didn't like. It, you'll be back to the, the good ones that are out there, I think. Hmm. It'll weed itself out. All right. Yeah, I think that does it for this uh, this wine episode. I believe so. Our second wine episode. Wow. Apparently the, the second of many, many, many. Just like in a lot got, of other topics. <laughs> yeah. There are many countries that make wine. And so uh, I think we've got quite a few more before we even circle back to to wine regions of France. <laughs> and we talk about that uh, that reason. What, what was the history that we hinted at earlier? Oh, geez. I remember it even saying, like, oh, we'll cut on that later. And I forgot what it was. Yeah. Um, World War One. World War II. Oh. Fran- Franco-Prussian War. That's, that's <laughs> definitely a, a big portion of, of what... So that was the Chateauneuf de Pop, uh, the house of the, the new castle of the Pope, that alone could be a story <laughs> by itself. The Newcastle Brown of the Pope. <laughs> um, that was that was basically the Pope moving to a new place and making that the new central location just yeah, because that's... the wine was so good. Well, no. There was, there was probably more history there, but yes. they say it's because the wine was so good. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Justin says, no. "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna veto that idea, and then I'm gonna drive down there with a rolled up newspaper and hit you in the face." So the Pope probably did have to move. I don't know the history. I'm not the history guy. The Pope did probably have to move, but he picked that place specifically because of the wine. 
We'll, we'll talk get, about this. That is we'll a future episode. <laughs> we, we, we do not have time for That's me to apparently describe a future the, episode. Catholic, the Catholic term Babylonian captivity. All right, let's, let's go ahead and start into the sign-off. All right, you can visit haveadrinkshow.com for useful links about us and info about the show. Also look for Have a Drink Show on social media, twitch.tv and YouTube. Those of you that are patrons of the show, thank you so much, and please make sure to send in your addresses so we can get you your free stickers. Mm-hmm. Don't forget, you can tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or uh, just leave some general feedback. You can use the email address feedback at haveadrinkshow.com also where you can send us your your address to get your sticker patrons. Hint. Hint. <laughs> uh, you can also use the feedback page on the website. Yes, all joking and fun aside, guys, I'd like to remind everyone to please drink responsibly. Uh, so check us out next Saturday this time uh, for our next live episode and remember to check out patreon.com slash have a drink show once again I'm Brittany Lee Walker I'm Justin Frazier I'm Christopher Walker and I'm Casey Price we shall see you next time bye guys bye Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs>